You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Um, let me extend a welcome to you as well. Um, so I'm Rich. I've been a member of the church for a few years, but I've met a lot of people today. You're just visiting. You're around the area. Some people who have just come to the first time. So you are so welcome. We love having new people. We love getting to meet new people. Uh, if you don't have any plans at the end, me and my wife will probably go to a park and get some lunch, so you're very welcome to join us, come find us. But thank you for coming to visit. It's great to have you. Um, Anuga said we started a series about God being a father, and he's a very, very good father. And I guess you're going to hear six weeks in a row, he's a very, very good father. Um, I've got the fun job today of just preaching about all the benefits that come of being a child of God. It's not a hard sermon to preach. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a really good one just to soak in some of this truth. But before we launch into the specific focus of today's sermon, I want to just look at one concept that is kind of over the whole series. And that is this, that your view of God will shape so much of your life. So your view of God will shape your behavior, but it will shape your motives, your desires. It will shape the way that you interact with others. It will shape your happiness. But actually... I think it's true to say that your view of God itself has been influenced by authority figures in your life and by your parents. And I'm not saying that as some kind of super pseudo-psychological way. I just mean that's natural, is that when you think of God as a father, you're going to think about how you were parented or how authority figures were in your life. Some of the negative impact of that can change the way that you think about God as a father. And so... I just want to maybe show up on screen a few different ways that sometimes we might end up thinking about God. I'll go through them if they're not on screen. I think this might be last week's sermon on the screen there, Josh. So, Okay, so it's possible to think of God, even as a Christian, I'm not just saying if you're not a believer that God's the Father, but to think of God as conditional in his love, so that somehow you've got to be a good Christian for him to love him, for him to love you. But it says in the Bible, actually, he loved you whilst you were still a sinner. You didn't ever contribute anything in the first place. But it's still possible for us to live our lives that way, believe in that because of the way that we have been loved with a conditional love. It's possible to think of God as cold or distant. Here we go. But actually, it says in um, Psalms, we are actually protected in the shadow of his wings. We can sing for joy. There's a real intimacy. He's not distant. But it is possible because of the influence in our lives to think of God maybe as God he doesn't really communicate to me. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't really talk to me. Maybe you've had a parent that never really talked to you or didn't communicate properly. In Psalms we read, you guide me with your counsel. It's also very easy as a Christian sometimes to think that God's being unreasonable. Maybe even you feel like he's harsh. But another Psalm says, well, actually God shows compassion to us as a father does to his children. So some of these truths are important for us to get this sermon series as we try and work out, well, God is really a good father Do we need to change our thinking of what a father actually is? Some people may feel like God's unforgiving, but they're just projecting that on God because maybe their own parents were very unforgiving. Do you see what I mean? It says in the Bible, as far as the east is from the west, as far as he removed our sins from us. You might think that authority figures, your parents, just a bit stingy, never really giving you anything. But God the Father, he's generous. It says in James, ask and it will be given to you. Or maybe it's possible as a Christian to think that God's unreliable, But actually, it says in the Bible that he's an everlasting rock. So my main point isn't necessarily that any of these are to do with today's sermon. But that you might, even without realizing it, 
be thinking somehow that God is like one of these things. So why don't you take a minute, have a look over that list. We've got a six-week sermon series. I think it would be silly of us not to try and identify some of these things in our own lives, in our own image of God, that we might just need God to transform. So have a look on the screen. Is there something there that that resonates with you? Over the course of this series, I believe God is going to come and speak to us. And I mean that we're going to come to a deeper and deeper realization of who God really is. So don't let it pass. If you've seen something there you think does ring true of the way that you relate to or think about God, grab someone at the end. Have them pray for you. Maybe come forward and get prayer. Tell somebody, you know what, this is something I'm going to be working on over the next six weeks. I heard a guy recently describe how he was putting his son to bed. And his son said to him, Daddy, I can tell you really want to have a cuddle before I go to bed. And I'm learning that maturity as a son of God isn't necessarily me scrunching up my eyes more and saying, God, I love you more than I ever have, but coming to more and more of a realization that, God, actually, you really want to come and cuddle me. It's that moment of saying, God, you genuinely love me and desire me and growing in my knowledge of that. Okay, so to today's talk. Today's talk is called Heirs. Heirs, not heirs. Heirs from orphans to heirs and a huge inheritance. So has anybody seen the BBC TV show called Air Hunters? Ever, you ever heard of this? It's very daytime. Emmanuel's watched it. You're meant to be working during the daytime, Emmanuel. It's, very, it's like, you know, 9.30 in the morning. Um, so in Air Hunters, they've got a group of detectives. They go and find um, the true heirs to estates or treasures where somebody, some big wiggers died but not left a will. And so people get this surprise. Oh, you're actually due all this inheritance. You know, in America, everything's bigger and better. So there's an American version of this called Suddenly Royal. A redneck to royalty fairy tale, it's called. So let me introduce you to Drew Howe. This is Drew. Drew, through this TV series, finds out that he's actually the rightful king of the Isle of Man. By his lineage. And it's actually true. He's the king of the Isle of Man, but he lives in Maryland. So he flies his family 3,000 miles to the Isle of Man and starts walking around talking to people on the Isle of Man. They don't want a king, you can imagine. <laughs> it's a te- I mean, I've watched the trailer. It looks like a terrible show. It's just him for eight weeks and his story. But, <laughs> but he overnight finds out that he's, a roy- he's royalty. He actually ends up getting an invitation to Will and Kate's wedding a few years ago. Just right off the back of this, absolutely crazy. His family tries to learn etiquette and royalty, and they suck at it. I think, you know. Anyway, the US do shows bigger and better than we do, don't they? So today we're going to look and enjoy spending some time looking at how Christians suddenly become heirs. Some of the life-transforming, life-changing love of our Father is found in how he adopts us. And overnight, we change from lowly, hopeless orphans to those that have inherited his promises, his spirit, and much, much more. We're going to start with a verse from Romans 8, which will come up on the screen. So, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That means Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8 goes on to say, on the next slide, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. We're going to unpack what some of this means in Romans 8, but it's a fantastic gold part of the Bible. It's a real gold standard of truth. We're going to start off with five punchy biblical principles of adoption. So I've called this becoming heirs. Five points you need to know. We're going to go at a rocket's pace through these. Okay, so number one, Paul describes we start as orphaned slaves. So Paul talks about, uh, Paul who writes this book, he's talking about orphans often in the um, Roman times would have been slaves as well. So there'd be people with no, fu- no security, no hope, no future, no status, no power, and nothing to their name. And readers of his letters would have understood that's what he was talking about. This is really, really lowly and poor. Paul is saying that we start spiritually in a similar place. We contribute nothing. We've got absolutely nothing to offer God. And so the idea of being adopted out of that slavery and being an orphan, being adopted by a rich, royal parent who then gives you an inheritance, that's such a huge swing that then and now it's a powerful metaphor of what happens in the gospel. Such a powerful metaphor. I thought it was amazing we were facing that way looking at the Watoto Choir a few weeks ago. Orphans who've come out of being orphans into adoption. What a powerful truth this is. What a powerful message going from being orphans to heirs is. And in biblical terms, it's a unique overnight transformation when you meet Jesus. Okay, so we start there. Second point, God the Father planned to lavishly make us royal heirs. So it says in that verse that we looked at, we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Okay, big thing to notice here. Paul doesn't say that we've done anything to make this plan happen. So we didn't plan it, and we didn't do it. This is all the lavish, cosmic generosity of our Father. We're looking at this series of how good is our Father. Well, that's amazing. He planned for you to be adopted out of being an orphan to being an heir. Here's an early challenge for us. It's easy for us as Christians to forget that we're heirs and that we're adopted, and to come back into a bit of a mindset like an orphan. So an orphan, if you follow this picture through, would be really vying for position with other people to show how great they were as a kid to earn adoption. That's how it would work. You'd want to show, you'd want to prove, you'd want to earn, you'd want to demonstrate that you're pretty great. You stood out, even among your brothers and sisters, you stood out in order to earn some adoption. We can sometimes end up a little bit like that, even as Christians, thinking we still need to earn something, we still need to perform. It still matters what other people think of us and whether we're good Christians. Actually, the whole thing of adoption is God the Father, in his cosmic generosity, planned it and executed it. You didn't earn it in the first place, so you don't need to earn it now. That's some of the good grace of God, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. Yeah, amen. Okay, so section three then. So We were orphans, God planned it, and then Jesus, the Son, he makes it possible as the hero redeemer. 
So what you'll find is in my five points on becoming heirs, we've got God the Father, now we've got God the Son, and we're going to see God the Holy Spirit in a minute. This is something of the Trinity at work. This is often what happens is that God the Father plans and declares something, and Jesus goes and takes responsibility and does it as the hero. Hebrews 9.15 says, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called, called by the Father, receive the promised eternal inheritance. We become heirs. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free. So do you see, it's God planned it and you brought nothing to the table. It's Jesus did it and you didn't do anything. It's all about the grace of God. What an amazing, gracious Father we've got. So how does this work? Well, first pointing out Jesus, he is uniquely God's son. So his sonship is different to our adoption. Actually, Hebrews starts with this bit about Jesus being the rightful heir to all things. But then Jesus says really clearly to those around him, he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father, to his Father, except through him. So he starts to say, well, I'm truly the son, but you also can come to the Father through me. Jesus makes one way, one way to do it, through him. We're going to give you an opportunity later on. If you're sitting here and you're not sure you've ever come to the Father through Jesus, today that can happen for you. You can find the way and the life and truth in Father God through Jesus. So the Father sends Jesus, and Jesus goes willingly and heroically to take the responsibility and pay the price to buy us out of, remember I was saying we're orphan slaves, to buy us out, to pay a price, to buy us out of that and bring us into his family. He brings us, but the way to do that required him to die and as the true son to be separated from his father for the first time. So he goes through separation from the Father. Why? To rise then as the victorious son and claim sons and daughters to become co-heirs with him. And that's the gospel. That's good, eh? God's good. So God the Father planned it. Jesus comes and executes the plan perfectly, rises again as the victorious son. And then the third part of the Trinity then, God the Holy Spirit God the Holy Spirit in inheritance, he confirms it to us and gives us life. So the verse in uh, the chapter in Romans 8 we were looking at said of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. And Ephesians 1, which Paul also writes, is a very similar thing, saying when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. It's like you were confirmed, and that is through the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit Guaranteeing what? Guaranteeing our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit has a really key part to play in becoming heirs in that he comes and seals and confirms a down payment on your inheritance. So if you want to know more about what it means to be an heir of God, not just up here, but really in here, today, why don't you ask God the Holy Spirit to come and speak and reveal this to you more? That's going to happen across this whole sermon series. Is God the Holy Spirit is going to be working, active in these messages, coming and stirring a sense of adoption and being heirs. There's a prayer team available at the end of the meeting. They'd love to pray for you for more of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. God wants you to know that you're an heir. Do you realize that? He doesn't want you to be unsure. 
So today, get some prayer. And then finally, my five points of becoming an heir is this. Nobody, past or present, has been given a higher position or greater wealth than those that become heirs of God. Nobody. I don't know if you've ever considered what it would have been like to be in the garden as Adam. But actually, I was reading this week a guy called Thomas Watson, an author and theologian from the 16th century. He said, well, adoption is an even greater mercy than Adam had in paradise. We've been chosen and planned by the Father, redeemed by the Son and brought into inheritance and confirmed by the Holy Spirit. What a mercy that's been shown to us by a good Father. Okay, so those are my five punchy becoming heirs points. But I guess the key question from a sermon like this is, what is the inheritance? It's all very well saying that we've got an inheritance. Tell me what it is. (laughs) Hopefully you've seen that there's dignity and privilege in just being in God's family alone. But I want to tell you how great this inheritance is. And this is, we're just going to do this for the rest of the sermon. How great it is to be an heir of God, the great, lavish, cosmically generous father. So I split it just into two points, and one is the inheritance we'll have after our days on earth are done, so into eternity. And the other is the inheritance that we can enjoy now. So let's start with this. When our time on earth is up, the ultimate eternity is our inheritance if we're a believer. The ultimate eternity means liberated bodies, it means liberated creation, and limitless access to the Father. I've summed it up this way in my notes The end is awesome forever. I think that kind of summarizes the way I think about eternity. It's going to be awesome forever. No sin, no death. That's part of our inheritance. The sun never sets. We get to eat dinner with Jesus. That's part of our inheritance. Do you remember the second slide of that bit that we were looking at in Romans? Started to talk about creation groaning, creation being liberated one day. Well, part of our inheritance is that Creation as it stands at the moment, the earth as it stands at the moment, isn't at its fullest potential. We will be back here on the earth, but it will be a new creation, a new and perfect version. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. C.S. Lewis is an author of the Narnia Chronicles, and he's a theologian, writer. He puts the creation this way. The hills and valleys of heaven will be to those you now experience... Not as a copy is to an original, nor as the substitute is to the genuine article, but as the flower to the root, or the diamond to the coal. So what he's saying is, I mean, he likes lofty terms, doesn't he? But it's not like you'll be looking at the beauty of creation in eternity and saying, oh, that looks like the, you know, the real thing. It'll be totally different. It'll be like a, a diamond in comparison to its original coal. It'll be incredible. So we've got that as our inheritance. But Paul doesn't just talk about creation like the earth generally. He then starts to talk about our bodies. So he's saying, you know, this, this body, these bodies actually aren't at their fullest potential either. There will be a redemption of our bodies. So not only will there be no more tears and mourning in heaven, but there'll be no more pain, no more sickness, injury, no death, and our bodies will be like perfect. So that's part of your inheritance if you're a believer. And I guess for me, I can't wait to meet Jesus I don't know if you ever think about that. King Jesus, I get to meet him when my time on earth is done. And this is where the kingdom of God really comes into its own. 
is that it's not in eternity part of our inheritance is just being in the grounds of the king. It's being with the king himself. That's part of our inheritance. Jesus will return. At that point, the living and the dead will be raised and God's family will be home again. The future inheritance is that for Christians. If you ever go to a funeral um, of a Christian who knows and loves Jesus, puts their faith in him, there's a sense that it's actually just a change of address, that the story's just started for them. And that's some of the great inheritance for us as believers, is that even if there are what the Bible describes as momentary and light troubles now on earth, even if there's pain and heartache and mess now, we know that the story's only just getting started and it kicks into its real chapters then at the end of our lives here on earth. It's a good inheritance already, hey? You happy with that? I mean, are we happy with that? Yeah, I mean, I'll take that. I'm looking forward to that. But I want to tell you that the inheritance starts now. The inheritance of being heirs of God starts here in this room today if you want it to. Being a supernatural heir to a father God, well, that doesn't require you to wait until a will is read out or some kind of funeral until it kicks in. God's not going to (laughs) die. We get to start enjoying it now as heirs to a living father. I would like to raise faith for our church today that actually your life includes access to incredible treasures today. I think the enemy would love us to think that that's not true and that we can't access anything of heaven now. But let me tell you it this way. It's not just that we're saved from being orphaned slaves and put in some neutral territory, but we're saved from that, then into our amazing inheritance now, into these treasures. And the first of those, I've just got a few points of what we inherit now. The first of those things we inherit is access to the Father himself. That doesn't wait until eternity. That's now. That's like right now in this room today. We have access to the Father himself. A close, personal relationship with God. And this is what that verse was saying about Abba, Father. Nothing to do with Abba, the group. But, you know, Abba, Daddy, Father. We've now got access. You You have got access now in confidence to come to the Father as loved and accepted heirs of the kingdom. You might think that this is really obvious. I know a lot of you have been Christians for a very long time, so you're thinking, you know, I've heard this a million times. So I want to try and put a a slightly different challenge to us today about it, especially if you've heard this lots of times. You might say, I've heard lots of times that I'm a son of God and I can approach God. But what does your everyday look like? Is that actually influenced by that truth yet? I'm challenging myself as well. But to say we can genuinely access relationship with the Father, well, that plays out in reality, in actual actions, in actual things we do, in actually the way we live our lives. It's nice to think, isn't it, of being independent. I think London and in the 21st century, that's such a proud thing to say. I'm independent. I'm independent of my parents. I've got my own house. I'm independent financially. I'm independent. I can make my own decisions now. I don't rely on anyone else. It feels like a positive thing. It feels like in our culture, that's a great thing to say I'm more and more reliant on myself, self-reliant. 
I'm more and more independent. I can make my own decisions. I'm spiritually independent. When I go and do things, I don't need to ask anyone's permission. I don't need anybody's help. But actually, if we really grasp and take hold of the fact we've got access to a Father God, the way that plays out as heirs is we become more and more dependent on God, more and more reliant on God, less and less proud of our self-reliance. Think about it this way. An orphan is self-reliant. If you feel there's an element in you, and I think this is probably true of most of us and certainly is of me, of trying to fix things ourselves, of trying to be on our own two feet, let me encourage you today, God is calling you to be increasingly dependent on him as a good father. And that's a sign of real maturity, not necessarily standing on your own two feet. We should grow in our reliance and develop reliance on the father. Jesus is a good example of this. Maybe you don't believe me that this is true, but Jesus is a good example of this in that he never boasted in being independent. What he said is, I look to see what my father's doing. I take my cues from somebody else. I look to my father first. So our father is now our source, and that's going to require for us some humility to rely on him for provision of finances, a job, stability, security, without just trying to automatically rely on ourselves. Is this making some sense? Maybe I'm able to ground this a bit better in a story. So I don't know if you guys have heard of a guy called George Muller. So he set up quite a lot of orphanages, and he's kind of this guy who set up orphanages by the power of prayer. That's kind of a tagline of his autobiography or his biography. So he was setting up his first orphanage, 300 kids there. And uh, comes down to breakfast one day, guy comes up to him, there's no food. We've got 300 orphans, there's no food, we run out of food. If this happens in my house, if Micah's there, I've got an 18-month-old Micah, if he's not got any Weetabix, I'm down to Tesco straight away. Like, there's no waiting about this. I'm fixing this problem. But he's there, 300 kids, no breakfast. But what he does is he thinks, what do I know about God? He's a good father. He's a good provider. So he prays this prayer. He says, come on, kids. Let's pray and see what God will do. So they're sitting there at the, dinner, at the breakfast table. And just a minute later, there's a knock at the door. A baker walks in and says, sounds like it's going to be a joke, but this is a true story. A baker walks in and says, God woke me up in the middle of the night. He told me, I'm going to need to bake three loads of bread for you. Three big batches. And I've got it all in my van. Is that okay? And George Miller's just like, you know what? This is what our father does. Come on, kids, let's pray. Let's see what our father will do. It's increased reliance, not just trying to be independent and fix it yourself. That's not the end of the story then. So he goes and sits down with all this bread. All the kids are munching on their bread and knock on the door. There's a milkman there. Not even the local milkman, just a milkman. He says, I'm really sorry. Sorry to disturb you. Um, My milk float's broken down. And I need to get the axle fixed. So I've got to shift all of this milk. I need to get it all off so I can go and get it fixed. Have you got any use for all of this milk? And George Miller just stands there and says, you know what? This is what our father does. This is what our father does. When George Miller came up up against an insurmountable problem, his instinct was to say, this must be an opportunity to see what my Father God can do. If we're seeking to pursue God, if we're seeking to go and do great things in Ealing, which our church is and which we are, looking to go and change this place, then actually God's going to back you and you can trust him for that. I heard one guy say, what God orders, he pays for. 
If God's ordered you to go out and change the world, to go and love your neighbors, to go and make a difference, you don't need to be sitting worrying about how he's going to resource you with energy and money and provision. He's got your back. Increasingly, let's be dependent on our Father as a sign of being royal heirs, going to our Father, our living Father, and saying, I need you. I want more of this. He wants us to be so full up that we're overflowing to others. So I hope you're excited by that. A few other things that we inherit now, as well as access to our Father is, well, actually, we inherit something of the God, the Holy Spirit in our lives. You, again, might have heard that lots, but God comes and lives in us. And let me take this back to dependence then. When an orphan has got a big decision to make or a crisis moment, they've got to work it out in their own wisdom. But if you're an heir of a royal king, full of wisdom, you go to him for guidance. God comes and lives with us. And let me tell you today, if you've got decisions to make, if you've got crisis moments in your life, God the Holy Spirit living in you is the way that God, even today, might just reveal a way through and guide you through. It's good to be able to say we know the Bible well and we can stand on our own two feet in some ways. It's even better to be able to say, God, where are you going? Father, I'm leading, following your lead like Jesus did. So part of the response today at the end is just to be to come over to this side and just pray, God, I want to know more of your Holy Spirit. And I believe just God's going to take some of a heavy weight off of people's shoulders of having to muddle through on your own. That's not what God the Holy Spirit living in you is about. He's here to help. And linked to that kind of guidance then is look around the room. This is part of what we inherit. Actually look around the room. So we've got brothers and sisters in Christ. So you've got aunties and uncles. You've got parents in God. You've got grandparents in God. Part of our inheritance as we join God's family is each other, is a sense of belonging and not being lonely anymore. He's included us together as heirs and co-heirs with Christ, and that's part of our inheritance. Here's another little challenge, just as we're coming to a close, just another little punch. If that's really true, that we are each co-heirs, that we're not orphans anymore, then there should be no sense in a church community of comparison. No sense of, I wonder what that person thinks of me. That's wasted if you're all co-heirs of a lavishly generous father. That's just a waste of time, a waste of emotion. And for some people today, that just might be something you want to repent of, is a sense of, I'm always thinking what that person in church thinks of me or or what would they say about me or, or how do I compare to them. There's no place for that unless you're orphans. So let's be free from that. Okay, finally then, we inherit kingdom power. Kingdom power. And this comes a bit back to what I was saying um, during the time of singing about healing. The theology of the kingdom of God, that's something for another day. But I'd like just to say, you have inherited something. You can't fall for the lie that now you're a son and daughter of God, that your life is the same in terms of the power you've got access to. That's a lie. You've inherited something now. And uh, maybe a quick, simple way to think about it is like Peter. So Peter's walking along the road. He's seen Jesus do his thing, hasn't he? So he's walking along the road and he sees a guy. This guy has never walked a step in his life. He's lame from birth. And what does he say to him? He says, I haven't got silver or gold. He's like, my inheritance isn't cash. I'm sorry, but it's not cash. That's not what my inheritance is. But what I do have, what I have inherited, I give to you. Stand up and walk. And you know how the story ends? The guy stands up and does a jig. He's off. 
he's excited, he's healed. That type of knowledge of the inheritance you have for Peter is something I'd love us to increasingly come into as a church. That's the inheritance we've got in Christ. Okay, all right, so that's the end. I just wanted to draw out a few responses. So we've just got a slide that's going to come up. Four responses for you today from this good news about being heirs. Firstly, um, if you are not sure that you've ever come into the family of God, let me say this to you. Go for it. Don't hold back. Today, you can go to knowing that you are part of this inheritance. C.S. Lewis, another little quote from him, he said, If you aim at heaven, you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. If you're not a Christian here today, you're not sure that you really have that inheritance. Let me tell you, aim for heaven. You'll soon find that you're inheriting a lot in your life now as well. But if all you're living for is the here and now, you'll find neither. Adam's going to lead us in a prayer in a minute. I'd encourage you to pray along and then come and let me know if you've decided to follow Jesus as the way to the Father today. Secondly, I guess this whole thing of self-reliance, I've put the word repent there. I think this series is going to be lots and lots of quick repentance for us. Transformation into really understanding who God is is a gradual process, but it's lots of little milestones of saying, I've realized this is true of me and I'm going to draw a line in the sand and turn around. I want that to be true of us over and over, week after week after week, to say, I've made a quick decision. I'm going to repent from this one thing. Even if I'm sure there are other things I need to, at least I'm going to be quick in repenting on this. So today, for you, if you feel like actually there's a heavy weight of being self-dependent, there's a pride there of saying, I can just make things work on my own. Then over the course of the next few minutes, please ask somebody to pray for you please pray a prayer yourself of repentance and turn around from that and just ask God, I don't know exactly how it's going to look, but I'm going to start being dependent on you, as risky as it might turn out to be. Okay, thirdly then, for all of us, bread and wine, I'd like to encourage you to come forward to the table today without a sense of being somber and mourning, but a sense of joy, a sense of, wow, I'm an heir. I can come literally looking around at my co-heirs, at my family with joy, As you come to the table, let's not one of us have a sense of somberness, but looking around and saying, great, we're heirs. We've inherited so much and enjoy it. Come with this sense, I'm an heir by the lavish generosity of a royal father. I don't need to worry, strive, compare, stress, or impress. Let's come to the table with that today. And then finally, um, if you want to know more of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, don't wait till next week. Come on. Over this side, there'll be some people who'd be willing to pray for you. Come and ask that God, by work of his Holy Spirit, would increasingly be active in your life, showing you all kinds of amazing treasures you've inherited. So those are the four responses. Please, I encourage you, if you obviously we'll all go for bread and wine, at least pick one of the others you can go for. God wants us really to do some business in this sermon series. Thanks very much.